Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark. The Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 13. The Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 13. We're continuing to travel with the Lord Jesus Christ through the Gospel record of Mark in His earthly ministry. We are now entered into what is called the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry before He goes to the cross. Now we've already witnessed this timeline of events that on the Sunday of that week He made His triumphant entry back into Jerusalem. On Monday He chased out the money changers. On Tuesday where we're at, He's been preaching in the temple and he's been dealing with the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's been giving different messages and different discourses. And once again, as we find our way to the gospel record of Mark, chapter number 13, we come to the historical date of Tuesday, March 28th of AD 30. And we're witnessing Jesus Christ as he come, is still in the temple and he delivers a very important message. And so if you don't mind, notice with me in the gospel record of Mark, chapter number 13. The gospel record of Mark chapter 13. And notice with me if you wouldn't mind starting at verse 1. The gospel record of Mark chapter 13 and verse 1 the Bible says this. And as he, that's Jesus, went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering and said unto him, See thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves. For they shall deliver you to councils. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. And ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye 
For it is not that ye speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children should rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let him that be in Judea flee to mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field turn not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction, such as not was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Except that the Lord hath shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he had chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days... After that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Then, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory, or power and glory. And then he shall gather his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner when ye shall see these things come to pass, know it is nigh even at the doors." Verily, I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taken a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye not know when the master of the house cometh, or at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping." And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch.
And if you have a marking things in your Bible, would you mark a word that we find in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 13? In the gospel record of Mark chapter 13, notice with me if you wouldn't mind in the verse number 24, the word tribulation. Tribulation. And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit a little prophecy tonight dealing with the idea of the tribulation. The tribulation. A specific event in our future. A specific event that the Bible foretells and speaks quite a bit about. The idea here, the tribulation. If you wouldn't mind, let's go forward together and talk to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to a passage that, again causes a lot of interest for a lot of folks. We're asking that we would be as biblical as possible. We'd be as correct as possible. That we would line up with what you say and not what we think. I'm asking that you would let me be as clear as possible to be able to put this in the framework that you have set up. That we would get an understanding. That we could see what's getting across and that we could apply it to ourselves. Again, this is a big subject. Help me as I only have time to summarize it. But that you would just give that summary give us great understanding for it, answer some questions, clarify some things in our mind. Once again, that we would respond the way that you desire us to respond. Lord, I'm very conscious of right now, I need your spirit. You even gave that promise in this passage here that I just need to depend upon you to give me the words. And the best I know how, I'm asking for you to do that. That you would prepare my heart, you would prepare my words, my lips, that it would be all surrendered to you and that you would get your own work accomplished and it wouldn't be just me and my ideas. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the passage here in Mark 13, without a doubt, there are many, many, many people who get this passage wrong. Now, I'm not trying to boast and I'm not trying to say that I'm better than everyone else, but without a doubt, there's a lot of people who get prophecy wrong. Uh, you, most, peop, most things that are out on TV or books or whatever else are there to capture because there's a natural uh, curiosity to prophecy. But God wants us to be understanding about it, so much so that he has set up a framework. And we'll get into that in just a bit. However, most people just catch the hype. And without searching scripture with scripture or putting the puzzle pieces together or having the wrong emphasis of it, give a wrong interpretation of prophecy. And that's to the detriment and to the hurt of many. Now, all I could do is say, let's compare scripture with scripture. Now, because this is such a big subject, we're going to stick to the text as much as possible, and I'm going to apply various other passages. There is so much to be able to pull from, but uh, we're going to stick with the text as much as possible and explain things in the light of other scripture as we move forward to try to get a good framework and a good understanding. Now, if you don't mind, as we tackle the gospel record of Mark chapter 13, the very first thing I want to show you is the keys for interpretation. The keys for interpretation. If you wouldn't mind, notice with me in the gospel record of Mark chapter 13. And notice with me in verse 1. And as he, that's Jesus, went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now, what he's talking about is they're leaving the temple complex. The temple complex was made to be um, 
an outstanding thing. Now, remember that this is technically the third incarnation of the temple. Now, you have the tabernacle before, which God gave Moses the plans. After that, you had Solomon who took the dimensions of the tabernacle and expanded it. And let me tell you, Solomon's temple was an amazing feat. That it was built on one of the highest hills of Jerusalem. And they built it and they coated it with gold to kind of reflect the glory of God. So as someone would be approaching Jerusalem, they would see the sun glintering off the gold and remind them of God's glory shining. And what a magnificent piece that was. That was until the Babylonians destroyed it, knocked every brick down, and destroyed it into little pebbles in 586 BC. After 70 years, God allowed God's people to come back into the land, and under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. And the rebuilding of the temple was nowhere near Solomon's glory. In fact, they had to preach a message that the glory of this latter house shall be greater. They said, do you think Solomon's temple was greater? But guess what? This temple is going to have more glory. Why? Because Jesus Christ was going to walk into there. And this is the temple we're talking about. Now, some people say it's the third incarnation because what happened after... Um, Zerubbabel had overseen the rebuilding of the temple that Herod the Great, in order to go ahead and curry favor with the Jewish people, set up a big renovation project. And it took about 30 years for them to renovate. And about this time, they just finished renovations. And now they're looking at the brand new renovated temple and they're like, look at all the property. Look at all the things here. Isn't this glorious? And Jesus says, it's all going to be destroyed. And by the way, at 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed every little bit of it. Just like Jesus said. He says, don't, don't get hung up on this place. Don't get hung up on these bricks here. You may think it's great, but it's going to be rubble in about 40 years. Good luck. In fact, notice what Jesus said in verse number 2. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now let me pause here. This is an interesting tidbit because during the lifetime of, of many of the disciples, eh, John, the rest of them are going to die before this, but this is going to be something that's going to be fulfilled in about 40 years. And if it's something that Jesus said literally was going to come past, and did it literally get destroyed? Yes. Then what he is prepping up is that if what he said is a short-term prophecy came to pass, this long-term prophecy that he is going to give is also going to come to pass literally. It wasn't their imagination that the temple ran down. It wasn't an allegory. It was literal. And so as we come to this passage, we have to understand one of the keys of interpretation is that we take the Bible literal as much as we can. We take the Bible literal as much as we can. Even when it's using figurative language. What do you mean by figurative language? Well, if I say that he is happy as a lark, do I mean that someone's a lark? No. But I do understand that the literal idea is that he's happy. Does that make sense? So we take the Bible as literal as possible. And so the passage that we find here is not an allegory. It's not a picture. It is to be taken literally. Notice if you don't mind as we go on. 
Verse number three. And as he sat upon Mount of Olives. Olives. So what happened is that they left the temple and they went down the valley and went into a small amount of hills called the Mount of Olives, which is to the east of Jerusalem. And he takes his disciples there. And while he's there with his disciples, four of them come up and say, we got a question. Notice with me in verse three. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things be fulfilled? So they came to him and said, well, you just said that all this is going to be destroyed. Tell us about it. So what Jesus does is he takes this opportunity to teach them more about future events for them. And he goes on with Mark chapter 13. Now, as we continue with this idea here, we have to understand that you can't take Mark 13 or the parallel passage of Matthew 24 by itself. But you have to interpret scripture with scripture. And we have to understand there is a framework. Now, many of us have put together a puzzle, at least put together one puzzle in our life. Now, if we were going to put a puzzle together and dump the box, the very first thing that everyone would do if you're someone who thinks properly is you would find the edge pieces, right? All right, here's a corner, here's a corner. If you have a fifth corner, then you know there's something wrong. But you find the four corners and then you go ahead and line them up. And then what happens once you have the edge of framework, then all the other pieces fit on the inside of that. For example, if you have the frame and you have a piece of puzzle and say, you know what? I think this fits way over here. It doesn't work. All the remaining puzzle pieces must fit within that framework. Does that make sense? And it so happens that God gives us the framework of prophecy in the book of Daniel. And everything within the future events must fit within that framework. And so we have to interpret scripture and the things that are given of prophecy with other scripture, especially the framework that God has given. Now, this is where I want to pause and said when I, at the very beginning, where most people give prophecy wrong, the reason why they give pro, get prophecy wrong is they ignore the framework. They set it aside and without that framework, you can put the puzzle pieces wherever you want it. Well, you can't do that. You have to set it within the framework. Now, <laughs> we're not going to take time to go through the book of Daniel. I preached on it before when we went through the millennial kingdom. We took a lot of time to go through the framework because we're just hitting the gospel record of Mark. We're just going to summarize. But the framework that God gives of history is that God is going to have an event called the tribulation. And the tribulation is going to be a time of Jacob's sorrows. It is a time where God is dealing with the Hebrew people to bring them to himself. Now, <laughs> we understand that in the Old Testament, God had decided to work through a people, and that was the Hebrew people, to bring the world to himself. They were supposed to be the light of the world. They were supposed to be a type of people that people could come to them and say, I want to learn more about your God. They had a basically a come to salvation, that the rest of the world was supposed to come to them, and they were supposed to reflect God, point people to God. However, they failed to do that. 
that what God did and he gave through prophecy is that he gave the prophecy of the Messiah coming. And by the way, the prophecies were so clear that they should have known exactly when Jesus Christ was born. That was predicted in scripture. Where he was born, when he was born, the circumstances, all of that was spelled out in prophecy. But when Jesus Christ uh, goes to the cross, what happens is that God puts a pause on his dealings with Israel. Now, he hasn't forsaken them. He has put them aside. And he is promising to return to them. And we are what is called the parenthetical phrase. That Daniel gave a prophecy of 70 weeks full of weeks. And each of those weeks represented a year. And we had 69 weeks of prophecy that are fulfilled all the way up to Jesus dying on the cross. That meant there was one more week left over. And in those 70 weeks, God has a program of dealing with the Israel people, the Hebrew people, bringing them to himself. Right now, we're in a pause, a parenthetical phrase, uh, uh, phrase that we call the church age. Now, the church age wasn't predicted in the Old Testament. It wasn't shown. The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, it was a mystery. The word mystery means that it is something that was previously hidden, but is now revealed. That the church was not a backup plan. It was not plan B, but it was always in God's plan. And right now we're in this church phase. Now the next event on God's calendar is what is called the rapture. Now what is the purpose of the rapture? The purpose of the rapture is to call away all of those believers during this church age and to remove them out of the way so God can once again deal with his people Israel. And in Mark chapter 13, we're going to see what God is doing during that time of Jacob's troubles. During this period that is called the tribulation, which we understand the purpose of it, the purpose of it is not to deal with the church. The church is out. It is dealing with God's people, the Hebrew people, once again for the purpose of bringing them to himself and using them to reach the world. Then after the tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to come back visibly, bodily, and on this world to set up the millennial kingdom. What is the purpose of the millennial kingdom? The purpose of the millennial kingdom is to fulfill God's promises that he gave to the Hebrew people. The millennial kingdom is not primarily for the Gentile people. Though we as Gentiles get to enjoy it because of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And so when you understand this, this is such an important idea here. And this is where people get things wrong as they try to mix the prophecies dealing with Israel and the church. You cannot do that. When you understand that the tribulation period is not to deal with the Gentiles, but primarily working through and to the Hebrew people, and that the millennial kingdom is the fulfilled promises to the Hebrew people that we as Gentiles get to enjoy, what happens is that we understand another key of interpreting scripture here, that we cannot read the church or the Gentile people into Mark chapter 13. But it is dealing with a time period that God has already established through Daniel, through the minor prophets, through the promises of David, even things that he made to Abraham, to Moses, things that he'd already set up in the Old Testament and put up a framework. And now he is building upon that framework by explaining a little bit more of what is to happen during this period, this seven-year stretch that we commonly call the tribulation.
So now we understand some of the keys to interpretation that we want to interpret it correctly. Let's dive into this some more. The next thing I want to show you is the trouble. The trouble. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed or pay attention, lest any man deceive you. You understand there's a lot of people who are trying to deceive people. And if they can get them off and prophecy, it's going to mess up things. May I also underscore an important idea here? God does not give prophecy for the purpose of satisfying curiosity. By the way, that's how prophecy preaching is used today. Is that people say, oh, I want to hear something amazing. I want to hear something wonderful. Oh, it's prophecy preaching. But God never gave prophecy for the purpose of satisfying curiosity. He always, always, always gave prophecy for the purpose of changing behavior. Why did God give prophecy? For the purpose of changing behavior. So why is God, Jesus Christ, giving prophecy to the disciples and giving this for us to change behavior? So when we go through here, Jesus is giving these events, and they may be fun to listen to, but let me tell you, at the very end, there is an expectation that we're going to do something about it. So I'm just giving you the prep work that, that it's just not going to be fun. It should be fun. Bible's fun. You should always enjoy it. But there's an expectation because of this teaching, what are you supposed to do about it? Notice if, we don't, if you don't mind, go on verse number 6. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Now, this idea of Christ here is the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. And that the Hebrew people, even to this day, are still looking for their Messiah. And from time to time, there's people going up. In fact, if I understand correctly, there is a, a Jewish person in New York who many people think today is the Messiah. And so people are still looking for that Messiah. They rejected that Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus Christ, was the Messiah who's already come for them. But they're still looking for it. And when they enter into the tribulation period, there's going to be many rumors. The Christ has come. The anointed one is coming. And Satan is using this to try to distract them. To try to pull them. To try to get them. So that way they will not finally accept Jesus as their Savior. Notice as it goes on. It's going to build up. Verse number 7, and when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Now again, the tribulation period is going to be an awful period. Think about with me as we go through and just think about it, that the very next uh, event on God's calendar is called the rapture where God is going to call away all of God's people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. And so the tribulation is going to begin with no saved people. And we've already seen how easily it is to scare a population. Imagine if millions of people disappeared. People are going to be freaking out. And guess what? There's going to be some Buttons that are ready to be pushed. In fact, it is my personal opinion that America will be destroyed right immediately after the rapture. 
And I think I could build up a good case for that. That's a different message. You can look at that in the archives. But there's going to be nuclear weapons being used. People are going to be wiped out. And there's going to be people blaming. I mean, don't you think that if millions of people disappeared, that there would be some finger pointing going? And people blaming? And some people who would very much be upset? Absolutely. And so there's going to be... Uh, wars and rumors of wars. During this time, God is going to allow a man by the name of the Antichrist, who is a European who is not on the world scene to yet, but he's going to come up and he's going to uh, put himself as a man of peace. He's going to rise up and he's going to calm the populace down and he's going to say he has a solution. Hey, we have all these homeless people. Well, guess what? We all now have all these homes that are empty. Let's put them in there. Hey, you need cars? Guess what? We've got a lot of cars that are abandoned. Let's fill them up. Those are just some examples of what he could do. Now, he sells himself as a man of peace, but he's very much against the world. And there's going to be a confederation. Again, we're going to the book of Ezekiel. I'm giving you the summary. Uh, we could take time for each of these. But there's going to be an um, agreement between the Muslim world and Russia. And they're going to go together. Now, if you think and remember that there's supposed to be a one world government or one world religion, there are only two groups of people that are very much opposed to a one world religion. And that is Bible-believing people and Islamic people. Well, the Bible-believing people are already taken away. The Islamic people are the only one that's left. And they are going to do everything they can to fight against the Antichrist. And so they're going to send all their tanks and their airplanes and everything. And they're going to go, go to Jerusalem. And by the way, this is spoken of the minor prophets, especially Zechariah. And they're all going to surround it. The book of Ezekiel talks about this too. They're going to surround it. And they're going to come that way. And God is going to fight for the Antichrist. And he's going to make all those Russians and the Islamic people disappear. He's going to fight for them and defend them. But there's going to be rumors of wars and a lot of things that are going on. A scary time for these things. Again, I've got many passages, sermons. You could go back to the archives. I'm giving you the summarized version. All right? So there's going to be wars and rumors of war. But he said, don't worry. The end's not yet. The end's not yet. Oh, this is just the beginning. Notice as he goes on. Verse 8, for nations shall rise up against nation, a kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And there shall be famines and troubles. And these are the beginnings of the sorrows. It is during this time that in the book of Revelation, you will have the trumpet judgments or the seal judgments that are released. And then as soon after the bowl judgments and the world is going to go through turmoil and one fourth of the population will die. And then another fourth of the population will die. And another fourth of the population will die. All during the first three and a half years of this tribulation. A very horrid time. Verse number nine. But take heed to yourselves for they shall deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them. So he says take heed because during this time the Hebrew people you're going to be hated because the Antichrist is going to try to say he's going to put a peace agreement. Let me pause. Go back. What's the official start to the tribulation by the way? It's not the rapture. The rapture comes before the tribulation but the official starting point of the tribulation is a peace agreement before the Antichrist and the Hebrew people. 
for the, for the Antichrist to rebuild the temple. Now, right now, they cannot rebuild their temple because there's something in the way called the Dome of the Rock. And the Islamic people will not allow the Hebrew people to build their temple. Now, even today, they have in warehouses all the materials to rebuild the temple. That is their dream. They want to rebuild it. But they cannot. But what happens when the Islamic people are gone? Well, guess what? (laughs) New real estate, tear this down and rebuild it. And so they put a peace agreement. There's an official peace agreement. Peace in the Middle East, finally. And the Antichrist is the one that does it. And he sets off an agreement. I'm going to rebuild your temple. We're going to finance it. We're going to get it done to show that we can have peace in the Middle East. And the people are going to cheer him. But the people who are against it are going to hate the Hebrew people. And they're still going to be against them. But notice in verse 10. And the gospel must first be published among the nations. Now verse number 10 is important. Because if you put it in the wrong time frame then um, <laughs> then it messes everything up. We know that there is no event left to be fulfilled before the rapture. If you put verse number 10 outside of the tribulation, then this says that the tribulation cannot come until the whole world hears the gospel message. But if we have this inside of the tribulation period, we now have an understanding. Remember what God is doing? God is working once again with the Hebrew people to bring them to himself so that way they can go out and preach the rest of the world. You're going to have the two uh, witnesses inside of Jerusalem who for three and a half years, they're going to be using signs and wonders, plagues, have miracles over water and fire, and they are going to be preaching the gospel. It's during this time that a 144,000 Hebrew people, that 12,000 from every tribe are going to come to know Christ as their Savior, then they're going to go to all of the world and preach the message. And it is during this time, as God is reaching the Hebrew people and then using them to reach the world, that verse 10 is true inside of the tribulation, that the gospel must first be published among all the nations. Verse number 11, but they shall lead you and when they deliver you up, take no thought beforehand of whereof you should speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but of the Holy Ghost. Now brothers shall betray brother to death, and father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure to the end shall be same shall be saved. Now what it's speaking about is during this time the Hebrew people are going to go through great persecution by without. And there are going to be times that people are going to betray their own kindred. Oh, no, he's saying he's one of those followers of that Jesus guy, and they're going to turn him over. They're going to betray them, and they're going to be killed during this time. We know that the Bible gives some more explanation in the book of Revelation about buying and selling and whatnot, but we're going to summarize and just say that the Hebrew people who accept Christ as their Savior are going to go through a great persecution. But notice in verse number 13 at the end, but he that endure to the end shall be saved. Now again, someone who does not take this passage here will teach a wrong type of salvation that says, if you are truly saved, you'll endure to the end. You'll live your life without sinning. 
well, I'm sorry, I failed that already. <laughs> what they've done is they've misused this passage. What it is speaking about is that during the tribulation period, the Hebrew people, God is working with them, and those that do not die during the tribulation period will go into the millennial kingdom with their natural bodies. And they're going to be able to have kids and they're going to be able to reproduce during the millennial kingdom. And it says, for those of you who survive, those of you who are not killed and you're endured to the end, you shall be saved or delivered from this tribulation. But you are going to enter into the millennial kingdom with your with a redeemed or with not a redeemed body we're going to have redeemed bodies but they're going to enter into their natural bodies and they are going to produce children again you go ahead and see a message during the millennial kingdom message when i go through that in detail <clears throat> but when they endure to the end they're going to be delivered from this time now, again, there's a lot of stuff. Again, I'm trying to, we have to interpret scripture with scripture. The Bible says a whole lot about these things. I encourage you to go review the Millennial Kingdom series that we preached about 30-something messages on the Millennial Kingdom where we go through this in detail. Or go back to our restoration uh, series, dealing with the restoration as we walk through the prophet uh, um, <coughs> Zechariah, which goes through quite a bit of this. Now as we go on, the second thing, I, or the next thing I want to show you is the tribulation. Now forgive me for speaking fast. You just have to listen to it and slow it down to a normal pace when you re-listen to it. But there's a lot of information in here and I'm trying to squeeze it in before we run over. I mean, I've got like six points and I'm only on number three now. So we've got to squeeze this in, all right? So the tribulation is the next point. So we start off with the keys of interpretation. Then we talk about the troubles. Then we come to the tribulation. Notice with me verse 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of the prophet of Daniel the prophet, standing where he ought not, let him that readeth understand. Let me underscore this. This is why we could tie this passage into the framework of Daniel, because Jesus said, go back to Daniel. You have to understand the framework of prophecy and what God had set done. And inside of it is such an important event that is mentioned over and over in Scripture, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, the, uh, <coughs> the, uh, the gospel records. It's mentioned a time and time again, this, period, this thing called the abomination of desolations. What is this? Well, remember that the Antichrist had made a peace agreement with the Hebrew people. That we're going to rebuild the temple. And they shook hands on it. Peace in the Middle East. Things are going hunky-dory. The rest of the world's falling apart. But at least we're having peace here. After three and a half years, they rebuild the temple. Yay! And to the great grand opening, the Antichrist comes in and says, I did this for you. And by the way, I'm sitting on the throne. Everyone worship me. This is such a big event that it is mentioned over and over and over. It is called the abomination of desolations. That they would build a temple that is supposed to be dedicated to Jehovah God. But instead the Antichrist sits on it and he demands to be worshipped. It is at this moment that the Hebrew people realized that they were lied to. And that he was not the promised Messiah. He was not the one that was to come. He was not the deliverer. And they're going to reject the Antichrist. And by droves they're going to turn back unto God. The Jesus Christ. Now many of the Hebrew people are going to be deceived at this time. But at this moment is when they're going to turn in mass. 
And they're going to realize that the Jesus of the Bible was their Messiah after all. What happens when this happens? When they reject the Antichrist? Well, he's not going to take that well. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number um, <coughs> 14 again. But when you shall see... Now again, this is a literal event. This is an imagination. This is a historical event. It's going to happen three and a half years into the tribulation. It is so specific, the Bible tells you when it's going to happen. Three and a half years into it, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet of da uh, Daniel the prophet. Standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them run. Let him that is on the housetop not go into the house. Neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And it goes on and gives this thing. Don't go back home. As soon as you hear that the Antichrist sits down on there, you don't go home. You flee away because the Antichrist is going to be in such a rage that if you happen to go home, you may get captured and he is going to kill you. He says, let him run. Verse number 17. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days and pray that your flight be not in winter. For in those days shall be affliction. Notice verse 19. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation which God created unto this time neither shall be. Now we are all familiar with an event called the Holocaust. During the time of World War II where Adolf Hitler came up with his final solution and during this time killed 6 million Hebrew people, Jewish people. And the Bible says that was nothing compared to what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to set off on a persecution that is like none other. And by the way, think about it. That during the time of the uh, Holocaust, the Hebrew people did not turn to Jesus Christ. Many of them turned back to their Orthodox Hebrew roots, but they did not turn to Jesus Christ. The Holocaust was not a bad enough event to cause the Hebrew people to turn to him. God says it's going to take something much worse for them to finally come back to me. And that worst is yet to come during that tribulation period. Verse number 20. And except that the Lord hath shortened those days, no flesh shall be saved, but for those elect's sake, for whom he had chosen, he hath shortened those days. By the way, at the very end of the tribulation, that God is going to kill all those who have not accepted him as Savior. So the tribulation begins with no saved people. The millennial kingdom is going to begin with no lost people. Think about that. In verse number 21. And then if any man shall say to you. Lo here is Christ. Or lo he is there. Believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise. And shall so, show signs or wonders. To seduce if it were possible. Even the elect. What he is telling them at that time. Is that Christ is coming. And by the way he spelt out when he was going to come. When he was going to come the second time. Around It was very clear uh, <clears throat> after as soon as the tribulation began, you could count on when Jesus Christ was coming. And any time before that time, Satan is going to do everything he can to distract the Hebrew people from believing in Christ. There's going to be many false Christs, many people, signs and wonders. He says, don't you believe it? Jesus Christ is coming back in a very visible manner that everyone's going to know about that it was Christ. Notice in verse 23, but take ye heed, behold... I have foretold you all things. 
So we come to this idea of the tribulation. If you don't mind, let's continue on. And I want to show you the termination. The termination. Notice, how does this end? Verse number 23 and 24 is actually a quotation of Isaiah 13.10. But take heed, behold, I have foretold you all these things. But in those days, after that tribulation, so at the end of it, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So Jesus Christ is coming back visibly and power and glory. By the way, he even said where he was going to come, the Mount of Olives. It happens to be the same spot where he's talking with his disciples. It's that same spot. The Bible talks about in the book of Acts chapter uh, 1 that the angels, when as soon as Jesus up to, uh, ascended to heaven, the disciples were looking up and Man, do you see him? Where's he at? And they kept staring and staring until an angel gave, Hey, guess what? Stop looking in the sky. This same Jesus shall come in like manner. By the way, when Jesus rose up and ascended up, was that literal? It was. Did he go up bodily? Yes. Then he's coming back literally. He's coming back bodily. In fact, the book of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Zechariah says that he's going to land right on that same spot and he's going to land and he's going to hit the ground and it's going to part the uh, Mount of Olives. Again, more sermons. Go back, see the archives, go through all this stuff. But he's landing in that same spot and he's going to land so hard that it's literally going to part the Mount of Olives. And all of the armies are going to be gathered together in that spot and Jesus, with just a word, is just going to speak and they're going to die. Now, we're all coming back with him with our redeemed bodies, but he doesn't need us. He could beat the whole world in just a voice. And it's going to be hard to mistake Jesus coming from the sky, coming back down. Well, that's Jesus. There's no mistaking that. He's coming back. But notice with me, if you don't mind, as it goes on in verse number 27. And then shall he send his angels and gather together his elect, the Hebrew people, from the four winds, from the uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. That God has made a prophecy over and over and over, and it's been consistent, that at the end times, he's going to gather his people, all of Israel, all of the Hebrew people from all the tribes back together to live in the land that he gave them and he promised to give them an inheritance for now, some people believe that in 1947, when Israel became a nation, that was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was not. It was not. Remember, the rapture must come first, the tribulation before the gathering together. In fact, there are more people, Hebrew people living in New York City than all of Israel altogether. They are not regathered. Now, we understand that God has always promised to take care of the Hebrew people, and we're thankful for those promises, but the promise to regather his people has not been fulfilled. And by the way, in Jerusalem, when the Antichrist sits down, all of the Hebrew people are going to leave, and they're not going to be in the land. 
And they're going to hide in the land of Edom, which by the way, with the rock faces near Petra and stuff, is one of the only places in earth where satellites cannot get to because of the rock minerals and whatnot. It's a good place to hide. Uh, so much so that people found those caves where they're hiding at and put uh, Bibles and sealed them up so when the Hebrew people come, they can go read the Bible for themselves and learn more about it. But anyways, the more sermons, go see them. There's a lot of information on here. It's hard to just summarize all of this stuff and get it together. But isn't it just thinking about all the things that God is putting together. I'm speaking faster and faster. You're going to have to listen to it and get down to slower speed just to keep everybody's stop giving notes now. We'll just have to watch it in the replay. But there's a lot of stuff going on. But God in the future is going to regather all of his people and bring them back to the land he promised them in the first place, which is part of the fulfillment of the millennial kingdom. Remember, the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promises to the Hebrew people, including the one that he's going to regather them together. Almost every minor prophet speaks of this event of them gathering together. This is such a big deal, which was a good encouragement to them because they're getting ready in the minor prophets to be destroyed by the Assyrian Empire, 722 BC, and the Babylonian Empire, 586 BC. And as they're going, God is saying, hey, you got to have this judgment now, but I promise you that one day I'm going to bring you all back. And God is going to keep his promise literally, not just figuratively or nationally. Literally, he's going to bring everyone back during that time. Amen. Whew. Let's go to the next point now. We see the, the termination, but then we come to the tree. The tree. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 28. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that the summer is near. Now, so often in the Bible, the fig tree is a picture of the Hebrew people. Remember we talked about before when Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered and died, that he looked for fruit. And that many times the fig tree is pictured this idea that they're, they're uh, Israel, the Hebrew people, but they have rejected Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is reminding them, hey, the Hebrew people's rejecting me. You're seeing this in your eyes now. Uh, <laughs> verse number 29. So ye in like manner, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. He says, be careful. Understand that this is a fulfillment for the Hebrew people, Israel people. And when you see these things come to pass, you know it's coming near. It's coming nigh. We, God wanted the Hebrew people. Isn't he a great God for them to understand what they're going to go through during the time of Jacob's troubles? And he listed out, explained, so that way they can look for themselves and know what to expect. That he listed it out. He wrote it out so they would have an understanding. And that way they're not deceived. Isn't that a great God? He didn't want them deceived. He wanted them to know what was going on and to bring them to himself. Whew. Verse number 30. For verily I say unto you that this generation, so the generation dealing with the idea of the tribulation shall not pass till all these things come, be done. What he's talking about is this is going to be done within a time period that the 
when the tribulation begins, it's going to be done within that generation. It's not going to be something that lingers on and on and on and on and on. You know, for example, when we deal with the millennial kingdom, which is the fulfillment of God's prophecy, there are some ideas of the millennial kingdom. There is a post-millennial view that believes that Jesus Christ is going to come at the end of the millennial kingdom and that what our job is, because they misinterpret scripture, is that we're supposed to make the world a better, better place until it's finally perfect enough for Jesus to come. How are we doing on that so far? Then there's all millennial. All just means not, so not millennial. You know that it's not true. Ah, there ain't going to be no millennial. And they just believe that it's figurative language. But we believe the Bible teaches a premillennial view. That means that Jesus Christ is coming back before the thousand year reign of Christ. That's called a premillennial view. We, our I, according to the study of the scripture, am a premillennialist, meaning that I believe that Jesus Christ, the king, is coming before the kingdom. And that we don't make the kingdom for the kingdom to come. That Jesus Christ is coming to set up the kingdom. Anyways, as we continue to go on, Dealing with the tree. Notice with me in verse 31. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass. You know, different things are going to come and go, but God is going to keep his word. There are so many people who teach today that the Hebrew people have defaulted on their promises to God. And so therefore God has given the promises to the church, the Gentile people. But that's not right teaching. God says, I don't care what happens. I made them a promise. And because I keep my word, it's going to come to pass. You could write it on the bank. It doesn't matter what you think may happen. You could watch history go. And by the way, 2,000 years have passed since this time. And God is still going to keep his word. He's still going to do it. Many things may come and go. But God is going to keep his word. Verse number 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels that are in heaven. Neither the son, but the father. Now here it's going back to the start of the event. We know when Jesus is coming at the end of the event, you could time it. But when does it start? No one knows. Jesus gives another illustration in uh, John chapter 14, where he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And the Hebrew people would understand that custom of the day that when someone was contracted, obligated to be married, a husband and wife said, we're going to get married. The son would go and prepare a house for his bride. So before he could get married, he had to have a job, praise the Lord. He also had to have a house prepared for her. And he would go and make it and build it. And it was his father that would inspect the building and said, son, it's good enough for your bride. Go get her. And you didn't know when it was. You wouldn't set up wedding wedding dates that at December 6th at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, that's when you're going to have the wedding. You would just have to be ready because you didn't know when he would come. It may be morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, but it's coming soon. Coming again, you just had to wait for him. This is what it's talking about where he's, he's not denying his deity, but he's saying, I'm the son. I've got something to do. It's the father that tells us, go pick up your bride. And he says, no one else knows the day or the hour. So whenever you see someone put up a billboard sign that says that Jesus Christ is coming, you could say it's not going to be that day. Uh, That same guy wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why God is Coming in 1988. Well, when that didn't happen, he wrote a sequel. (laughs) uh, 89 Reasons Why God is Coming in 89. 
It was that same guy that I don't remember when it was. Was it 2008? Oh, no, it was 2012 or something like that. Uh, that he put up those big signs all around the... I don't know if you had it up here. But he had big signs that said, Jesus is coming on this date. And he put billboard signs all over the place. I had a friend of mine who called him up and said, Hey, you really believe this is going to happen? Yes. He said, If that's true, would you deed me your house on the day after? And the guy wouldn't do it. <laughs> I thought, you sure he was coming? You know, many people are trying to give a date and a time. Nobody knows. And Jesus is trying to put the emphasis that nobody knows, not even him. We know he's, he is God, but he's putting the emphasis that it's God's responsibility, not the son. And that the God is going to say when to go get your bride, when to come back down. Stop guessing. You don't know when it's going to come. But when the tribulation begins, then you know when Jesus is coming because you could do the time frame. You could see what's coming. But before, when does it start? You don't know. Just be ready. So we could see the tree here, which brings us to us. Remember what I said is that prophecy is never given for the purpose of satisfying curiosity. You say, well, this is fun. And pastor somehow got two hour lecture into 40 minutes an hour, whatever it is. And you're going to have to listen at slow speed. And when you do that, it's probably going to be three hour lecture. But he, he squeezed all this in there and squeezed it all here. That was fun. That was great. No, no, no. You missed the whole point of this. God never gives us prophecy for the purpose of satisfying curiosity. So why is it that he gave it? We see this last thing, the test. The test. Notice with me in verse 34. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, that every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So here's the picture here. Jesus Christ owns everything, but he went on a trip and he's gone. And he's left all of us here to continue to work. It's not like when you were a teenager that um, you found out when your parents were coming home and you did nothing but watch TV until 15 minutes before your parents are supposed to get there and then you whirlwind everything. No, it was the idea you don't know when they were coming back and so you need to be caught being busy and doing what you're supposed to do and watching. Notice verse 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at evening or at midnight, or the cock crowing, or in the morning. You don't know when he's coming back. Wouldn't it be awful for Jesus to come back? And you know we're all going to talk in the millennial kingdom. So, where was you when Jesus Christ came back? I was in church. Where was you when Jesus Christ came back? I was the last person to lead someone to the Lord. I had my Bible in my hand, and I said, will you believe? And right then God called us away. I want to be that guy. But there's going to be some people that wouldn't say, hey man, where was you when the rapture happened? I don't want to talk about it. Uh, no. Where was you? Change subject. Because there are some people that are going to be caught and they were not prepared. They were not looking for Jesus. They were not living their life like Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. They were wasting time. I was slacking off. I was doing nothing. I thought I had more time. And they're going to give excuses. And they're going to be caught doing what they weren't supposed to do. It's like when your parents came home. Man, when I, my parents came home and we didn't get the list done, there was going to be trouble. 
You knew I told you to do this. Didn't you have plenty of time to do this? Yes. Then how come you didn't get it done? What do you say? Notice if you don't mind. Lest coming suddenly. Notice that word suddenly. You know nowhere in the Bible it says Jesus Christ is coming soon. I know that ruins songs and theology and whatnot. Nowhere in the Bible it says Jesus is coming soon. But it does say he's coming suddenly. That means he's coming without warning. Boom, he's there. The rapture is going to happen. We don't know when it's going to come. It could be another 50 years from now. What are you doing? It could be in a couple minutes from now. What are you doing? He says, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And I say unto you all, watch. You know, the Bible here gives us a lot of things that are happening. But we know the very next event on God's calendar is something called the rapture. And that's where Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds. Not visibly. He's coming in the clouds to call us up with him. The calling away. That could happen at any moment. Will you be found faithful? Will you be found being obedient to what God has given you to do? Are you living your life that Jesus Christ could come at any moment? We only have one shot at this. Are you found being faithful? You know, we could lazy our days away and found, be found doing nothing. You may say, well, I got plenty of time next year. Oh, let me do this first and then I have time. You may not have time. Work for the night is coming. There's only a small amount of time that we have to labor. Will we be found faithful? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.